Well, it's with a very full heart of appreciation that uh, we come to this day. It's, it's David's last Sunday as our worship pastor. David let me know somewhere about, I don't know, five or six weeks ago that he was thinking of semi-retiring, and he used that word very specifically because I don't think this guy will ever fully retire, uh, but David's going to focus on more of his consulting career and his studio work and step back from leading here at North River. And after a few months off, a, a needed rest, David's going to come back and be one of the volunteers on our team. But uh, David, I, I just have to tell you, after 19 years of working side by side with you, I, I feel like you're the one person on staff who knows how to finish my thoughts. And there's so many times when, when you have come up with songs or taken suggestions and, and you know, run with ideas. And I just want to thank you for your faithfulness in putting Jesus first in everything that we've done up here, for the way that you have, you've led the team, for the ways that you have built up others, for your songwriting, for all the risks that you've taken in pushing us forward. You are leaving North River in a far better place, and I'm grateful for that. I don't know if you want to say a word to the congregation. Well, just a few things. I mean, um, love you, Paul. And, and the church, man, what, this church is fantastic. Love it. Love you guys. Uh, I've mentioned this to Paul before, but um, when I look back on my life, most of the best things that have happened to me were, just happened. They were not carefully mapped out, planned. They just happened. This is, this is either at the top or near the top of the list, North River is, uh, for me. And, uh, and by the way, when things just happen, it just, uh, for me, it's a demonstration of God's grace. Right? We don't deserve it. Uh, we didn't orchestrate it. It's just the way God works. Uh, 19 years, to me, it seems like yesterday. You know? and, and by the way, that's for all y'all, that's a, that's a, at least for me, that's an indication of that you're having a really good time you know, when 19 years just flies by. Yeah. And to this day, I'll drive home from a, a service on a high, on a natural high. Uh, and the, to me, the only explanation for that is God's presence and this amazing corporate worship and church that we have here. But, so it's been, a, it's been a privilege, folks. Thank you. So we wanted to take this moment to acknowledge there's, there's a lot of change going on during this season. Part of that is, is uh, David stepping off as our worship pastor. Uh, I want to acknowledge at the same time uh, Melinda Bertoni, who's been in a part-time role as our administrator for the worship teams, is also stepping off, chose to step off at the same time as David here. Uh, I'm honoring Melinda's request and not embarrassing her by bringing her up here, but Melinda, I want to thank you for uh, so much leadership, not just in worship ministry, but Melinda bailed us out twice and led our youth ministries during tremendous interim times and ran things really, really well and was one of the, the key instigators behind things like the car show and the yard sales that we did. And I want to thank you for your tireless service. And we're going to miss your leadership up here a lot. And I'm going to miss you a lot too. Let me pray over, over all this. Father God, we pray that uh, you will watch over uh, David and his family and Melinda and her family as these changes take place. Thank you for using them both greatly here at North River and blessing people through their leadership, through their singing, through their multiple gifts. 
We pray for Dave Bailey and for the team of people, a wide team of people that will be stepping into the gaps and moving forward. We pray for this new era that you will bless greatly. We realize this is a relay race and we always hand off to somebody else and we've, we've taken the baton from those who've come before us. So thank you for those who've been faithful in the past, those who will again lead us into the future and God we trust that, that you have great things in store. And so we ask for your blessing on, on all of them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, let me give you this as a thank you. Okay. Thanks, Bob. Good morning. My name is Peyton Shimshak, and I'm a freshman at Hanover High School. And today I will be reading from Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself, a people that are his very own and eager to do what is good. Thank you, Peyton. Please join me in a prayer. Father, wherever we are scattered across the South Shore and in many cases across the United States, we join our hearts together at this time and we ask that you will continue to lead and guide and give us a sense of what your plans are. We recognize we live in a time when people are afraid and concerned because there's a lot of change going on and in many cases we're isolated from others. We pray for our nation. We pray that, that rather than being a nation of tribes that are all fighting against each other for either prominence or recognition or uh, to tear one another down, that you will bring some force that can unite us as a nation I pray for us as Christians, for most of the people who are listening to this this morning are, are Christians who are on the pathway to becoming Christians, that you will unite us around Jesus, who's far greater than any political reality that the world has ever known. And I pray that you will unite us around uh, the gospel of grace and goodness that reaches out beyond barriers, beyond race, beyond ethnic uh, realities and that you will unite us around the power of Christ to change the human heart, to change the human mind, to change the human soul, and to make us into children of God. We ask that you will bless those from North River who are going out to work and to serve uh, for this afternoon and allow their experience to be filled with joy and with camaraderie and with the knowledge that we're serving you. Wherever we go throughout this week, Grant us the ability to think about Jesus and what he would do in each and every situation. Give us the kind of heart that is eager to respond and to act the way that he would act. Lord, forgive us our sins. Make us whole on the inside. And allow us increasingly to understand who we are, what our purpose is, what our mission is in this world, and to go forward with confidence, knowing that despite all the chaos that happens around us, there is a Lord through all of this who will triumph. And so we wait 
for the return of Jesus. We long for the return of Jesus. And we pray that you will keep us faithful, doing what you call us to do until that time. But together we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come and bring justice into this world. Come and make things right. Come and gather your own. Father God, we ask this in the mighty name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Novelist and speaker Anne Lamott makes this powerful observation about the concept of hope, which we've been talking about now for the last month. She writes, hope begins in the dark, the stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. I don't know about you, but I resonate with that perspective. Hope, real hope, I find is a stubborn, gritty thing. I don't simply wake up, roll out of bed, and instantly think, this is going to be a great day. Life just doesn't seem to work that way. Instead, hope keeps me pressing on, leaning into what will one day come. We wait, we watch, and we work. We just don't give up. Where does that kind of perspective come from? How do we get that kind of perspective if you're lacking it? And how do we get more of it once it starts to wane or to fade? I would like to suggest to you that this kind of gritty, resilient hope is ingrained in the core of Christian faith. We cannot fully understand the power of the early church or the calling of Christians today to face the challenges of our day without this kind of hope. So we're going to look at four or five verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to one of his young protégés, Titus, as Paul describes a strategy for maintaining hope in the midst of trying times. So let me say good morning. I'm glad to see you all. I I am so glad that you're with us today at North River Church. I'm glad to be back after a week of vacation. And I want to build on the foundation that our next-gen pastor, Christy Peck, continued to build last week with her message, Overflowing with Hope. As I listened to it, I found that that message was so encouraging to me because it truly was overflowing with hope. And that's who God wants us to be, people who are continually overflowing with the hope that he brings. If you missed it, you really need to click on the North River website and go back and watch last Sunday's service. Christy hit the ball out of the park with that message. And that makes my job a bit easier because at least for one day in the midst of this season of chaos, we were focused on that concept of overflowing hope. Today our topic is waiting for hope. This is part of our Finding Hope in Trying Times series, and it is important because we now are fully six months into this coronavirus pandemic, and it seems that we are constantly put in the mode of waiting. Think about it. We were waiting to flatten the curve. We were waiting for businesses to reopen. We were waiting to be able to eat outdoors at a restaurant. What a joy that was the first time. We were waiting to see how schools would reopen. We are waiting for a vaccine. We are waiting for jobs to return and for the economy to get rolling again. We are waiting for the post-Tom Brady Patriots era to start. And we are waiting to see what NFL football without fans will seem like, look like, feel like. Here's the observation that I want to start with this morning. Christian life is tied to this discipline of waiting. The key verse that brings this out is in Titus 2.13. 
which says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the verse that inspired this particular message. There are three phrases in there that I want to focus on very briefly to set this up. The first says, while we wait, Paul was acknowledging to Titus and to the early church community that part of Christian life is wrapped up in this matter of waiting. If you think you're the only one, you're not. It goes all the way back to the beginning of Christian faith. The second phrase is the appearing. This concept of the appearing shows up twice in this paragraph. In verse 11, we learn that the grace of God has appeared in Jesus' arrival 2,000 years ago. And then here in verse 13, Paul points to the appearing of the glory of Christ, which is yet to come. He's coming back, and one day when he comes, he will come in all of his fullness to set things right. The very thing that we're crying out for today. And all of our lives take place during the gap between these two appearances of Jesus that appear just a couple of verses apart from each other in Titus chapter 2. And the third phrase is the blessed hope. The blessed hope of the church is the return of Jesus. Although most are not aware of this, the blessed hope is what our world longs for. Yes, Christ will return to gather his people, those who belong to him, but that's not all. He will come with swift justice and he will set the world right. Think of the words that earlier Christians used to describe this blessed hope. See, we discover along the way that people of faith long for Christ's appearing in glory. Along with this discipline of waiting, we long for Christ to appear. In 1861, Julia Ward Howe and her husband visited Washington, D.C., and they met with President Abraham Lincoln. And they heard the troops marching to the abolitionist song, John Brown's Body. And the opening line of that song was, John Brown's body lies a smoldering in the grave, and it was an abolitionist tune. A pastor in the group knew that Julia was a published author and a poet, and he suggested that she should write new lyrics to that tune. So when you see David Cote writing new lyrics to rock songs and things like that, you have to realize this was being done 150 years ago. The next morning, Julia woke up before dawn with the sense that there were words already forming on her heart for this new song to an old tune that was already forming in her mind. And this is what she wrote. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And then that got tied to a chorus that had already been attached to John Brown's song, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. And then she added this tweak, His truth is marching on. There's a verse in Julia Ward's original that most hymnals have not taught us along the way. It reads like this, He is coming like the glory of the morning on the wave. He is wisdom to the mighty. He is succor to the brave. So the world shall be his footstool and the soul of time his slave. Our God is marching on. Now here's the point of all this. In earlier times, American culture was saturated with the knowledge of Christ and with the expectation of his return, of the blessed hope, the Bible calls it. So much so that a Unitarian like Julia Ward Howe was waiting and hoping for the return of Jesus to set the world right. 
Well, I want to return our focus to Titus after having set this up. In Titus chapter 2, Paul is addressing to his friend Titus some concepts about how to live well during this gap until Jesus returns. I'm calling this living the good life until Jesus returns. And there are five suggestions that Paul lays out in these verses. The first is to stay rooted in grace. Verse 11 starts this off saying, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. As I already pointed out, we live between these two appearances of Jesus. When Jesus arrived in Bethlehem, the grace of God was poured out on the world through his ministry. Even more, the grace of God was lavished on his people at the cross and at the resurrection tomb. Our ability to maintain hope flows from how well we understand the working of grace and how rooted we remain in grace. One of the dangers of this season we are in now is that you and I can become so disconnected. We become disconnected from meeting together with each other, disconnected from the sense that we need regular weekly fellowship and reinforcement. I know some of you have been telling us for weeks, when can we meet again? When can we meet? It's that need that is rising up within us and is calling people that we have to get back. We have to find a way. And the more that we establish healthy, life-giving habits, the more we find the capacity to remain hope-filled. One of the reasons why so many people are struggling right now is because of the restrictions that are put on churches and what happens when you begin to take away that kind of fellowship and the joy that comes when together we submit ourselves to Jesus at the same time as through the reading of scripture, through songs, through our prayers together and through realizing that we're all in this boat together. So let me introduce to you the, the main idea that carries through this message. We maintain hope by staying rooted in grace by offering grace, and by living lives marked by grace as we wait for the appearing of Jesus. Here's the second part of that. The first is stay rooted in grace. The second is offer salvation to everyone. Same verse, go back to verse 11, and look at the back half of it. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Paul's letter-writing campaign increased when he was in prison for his faith He had already been investing in younger leaders like Timothy and now Titus. And so now he is coaching the next generation of leaders about how to live well. He reminds Titus of the challenge of sharing the grace of God with others. He's saying, don't look for another gospel. The grace of God has already appeared in Jesus. This gospel is for everyone, for every culture, for every tribe, for every generation. This gospel unites people of every race to the kingdom of God. Kingdoms and tribes of this world are all passing things and temporary. The one thing that lasts for eternity is being included in the grace of God and being counted in the family of God. One of the things that concerns me about both the politics of the left and the politics of the right today is this stress on tribalism. People are constantly being grouped or classified or separated into one tribe or another. And America today is described as a nation of tribes rather than one whole people. But tribalism, while it tries to respect and honor groups that matter, like races and ethnicities, always tends to divide. We as Christians are called to the gospel instead that unites people, all people, all tribes, ultimately because there is one Son of God, one Savior, 
and one grace for all. I am blessed when I hear people who are black, brown, or white calling us to the same gospel that leads to the one people of God who will share in eternal glory forever. And that's our mission. So I have a question for you. Have you embraced the gospel of grace? In the midst of this often difficult world, Jesus has an offer for you. He offers to take all of your sins and all of your failures and nail them to his cross from 2,000 years ago. If you will acknowledge your sin to him, trust in his ability to redeem us as new creatures and pledge to follow him, he will claim you as a child of God and give you a living hope that never goes away. Think about that for a moment. I'm going to come back to this and give you a chance to respond to take Jesus up on his offer. You see, we maintain hope by staying rooted in grace, by offering grace, and by living lives that are marked by grace as we wait for the appearing of Jesus. Here's the third part of this. The first is that we are to stay rooted in grace and then offer salvation to everyone in our pathway. The third challenge that he gives is to pursue godly lives in this age. Verse 12 goes on. Paul writes, it teaches us, this grace, in other words, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, let's be clear about this. The Bible does not call us to a standard of perfection. Good thing, we'll never get there. Instead, we are called to godliness and self-control. In other words, we are called to follow the pattern that we see in Jesus, the most godly person who ever lived. We do this depending on His continuing grace along the way. One of the most important words we need to learn in this regard is the word no. Say that with me. You are in the room. Just say that word, no. Now, we first learn this word when we are little kids. We get a kick out of saying no. The word no, though, always has a context. It can be a word that protects us, saying, no, I'm not going to let you harm me. It can be a word of defiance, saying, no, I, I won't do what mom or dad is teaching me. The Christian life is marked by learning to say no to ungodly and unselfish patterns. This means when our tribe walks down a path that is contrary to grace, we need to learn to say no. Sometimes people today are tempted to think, oh, that's just for Christians in the past. They were a little bit more weird than we are, a little different. But Paul writes this phrase, in this present age. He knew that Titus would outlive him. And so these instructions were for a time beyond Paul's life and even in every age. At some point, we must choose between Jesus and ungodly patterns or passions. We will never experience the full joy, peace, and hope God has for us until at some point we learn to say no to the trends of our times that run contrary to the pathway of Jesus. You see, we maintain hope by staying rooted in grace, by offering grace, and by living lives marked by grace as we wait for the appearing of Jesus. The fourth challenge that Paul gives is to be eager to do what is good. Verse 14 bears this out. He writes of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are of his very own. And then the last phrase comes in, eager to do what is good. I met a well-known Christian leader about 10 years ago, and I had this jarring conversation with him. 
He was an international evangelist and missionary strategist. And over dinner, he made a comment that nothing matters except evangelism. Now, I love evangelism, which is talking about the good news of Jesus. Having been deeply influenced by our friend Chuck Colson, I asked during that conversation, what about the cultural mandate? All the way back in Genesis 1, God told his people to subdue the earth and to multiply and to bring good in this earth. And the Old Testament tells us to seek the shalom of all people. And he looked at me kind of sternly and said that the cultural mandate was already fulfilled and nothing matters but evangelism. Now, I'm not going to mention this guy's name, but I think his advice was dead wrong. Why? Jesus tells us not only to love God, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's the ongoing cultural mandate. And Jesus said that doing these two things together fulfills the gospel. And now Paul reaffirms that cultural mandate here, saying that we should be people who are eager to do good in this present age. So today, in the midst of a pandemic, a number of North River folks are heading out to do just that, to do good in the midst of our community. People are serving the way that Jesus served. They are fulfilling part of our mission statement, which reminds us that we are daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. We are serving people who will only become interested in the gospel as they see the people of the gospel caring about our neighbors and doing the things that are tied to the gospel. Projects like today's big event are part of the reason that Jesus serves or reserves us as his own people so that we can be deployed in doing things that impact the world around us and point to the grace that we have received. And then Paul's final thought comes in in the next verse that goes just beyond what Peyton read for you a few moments ago. Verse 15 starts off this way, these then are the things you should teach. And so Paul challenges us to teach these things in an ongoing way. So we are taught to stay rooted in grace, to offer salvation to everyone, to pursue godliness in our own lives, and to be eager to do good in the name of Jesus. This is what we do while we are waiting for Jesus to return. We are not just passively waiting. We are not just hunkering down in the corner as if we're, we're riding out this time. We are actively waiting for Jesus to return by doing the things that flow from the grace we have received. So I have a question for you at the end of this message. Are you ready to embrace this way of grace? I got an email from somebody yesterday who says, I want to I wanna talk with you further about this. We started a conversation and I let it go. And so we traded a message last night. I got another email from another person last night saying, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized in the ocean before it gets too cold. And so we're going to work that out somehow over the next week or so and talk through what that means. Here's what I find encouraging. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of even the separation and not being able to meet as a full church, there are, repeat, are people who are responding to Jesus. And maybe it's your turn too. So if you are feeling that call that this is the time to put your faith and trust in Jesus so that overflowing hope can come back into your life, pray with me this simple prayer that's going to pop up on your screen. Lord, fill my life with the hope that comes from trusting Jesus, who came to redeem me, to purify me, and to make me one of his own. 
Empower me by the Holy Spirit to live a life of godliness and grace as we eagerly wait for the appearing of your glory in the return of Jesus. Lord, my prayer is if there's somebody out there who has prayed these thoughts, that you will come into their lives through your Holy Spirit, that you begin to change the software of the heart and the software of the mind, and that you will give each and every one of these folks a great joy that comes from trusting you and knowing that their future is tied to your future. And that we're not just passively waiting, but we're living the life that you came to model until we see you come in glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to say that if you just ask the Lord to come into your life with His hope-filled, redeeming, saving presence, click the button that shows up on your screen. It'll say something like, I give my life to Jesus, or I'm raising my hand to indicate that I'm responding. Do that, and send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. Here's our final thought for today. We maintain hope by staying rooted in grace, by offering grace to others, and by living lives marked by grace as we wait for the appearing of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.